All right, folks. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I do realize that we're going backwards. We were in Luke 6 last week, and this week we're in chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 30. I don't know why they did it this way, um, but we are um, back at chapter 4. So this is session 8. Um, rejected. This is actually the beginning of the rejection um, that Christ uh, will see. Jesus offers, Jesus, Jesus's offer of salvation will be rejected by some leading to judgment. Um, as we come into this, uh, this is where he goes, returns home and is rejected in his hometown. One of the things that, that is, um, I was thinking through is we, I was reading and working through this this week, is chapter 4, Luke is, is documenting Jesus' life chronologically. And we know that uh, it's still a little ways off before he actually chooses his disciples and the apostles. And so uh, Luke doesn't record that anybody was with him when he went home. This is like right after his time in the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan and all that. And so he goes home and it's before he calls Peter and John and all of them. And he returns home to Nazareth, and we, we've talked about Nazareth several times. I mean, it's a little poodunk, backwoods, hillbilly hick village off the beaten path. So the likelihood, we know none of the apostles or any of them were from that village. It's really small. They estimate that at the time Jesus was on the earth, there were probably somewhere between 500 and 1,500 people that lived there. Uh, so it's not a real big it's not a real big place. Most of them would have been relations. They would have been cousins, or you know, and, and the like. Uh, so that lead, led me to wondering how in the world do we have what happened? Because the detail that we're going to look at today is quite astounding. I mean, it, it talks about his actual teaching in the synagogue which archaeologists haven't found the synagogue in Nazareth yet. Um, they've not been able to dig it up, so it's not like there are records or something. How would we get that? And so that's my question to you. How do you think Luke got this information? Did he talk to people? Well, sure. But who would have been there that would have, give, would have known this story? His mother? Brothers? Yeah, his siblings. Likely this story, which totally incriminates them, is from his family. Um, it's the only way they could have done it because the apostles were not traveling with him yet. Um, and they uh, were the only ones that might have been there. We know that Luke uh, traveled with John and Peter and Paul uh, over the course of his lifetime recording what they had to say. But James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church and in all likelihood was there the day that Jesus showed up uh, and was one of the problem people <laughs> with it. 
So as we come to this passage, I want you to bear this in mind, that the story we're reading and, and what took place is likely a, a firsthand account by, my guess would be James, Jesus's brother, because it happens in the synagogue. He's sitting there, um, and we know that they were not happy with Jesus uh, before his resurrection. It's not until after their resurrection that James comes to Christ and understands who his brother was um, and the like, that they didn't understand that. So as we read through this, just keep that in the back of your mind, that, that, that this story is, is being told to Luke, probably by James, maybe his mother. Uh, it's possible she was there um, that day, but we don't know. So without further ado... Let us delve into Luke chapter 4, verses 16 uh, through 21. Somebody can read those for us. And he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in their, in their hearing. All right. Thanks. He's quoting what? That would be a tremendously arrogant thing to say to your family unless you're the son of God. Yes, it would be. There is the arrogance of uh, this. Uh, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um, yeah, that, that's a little arrogant. But I want us to look at it as we, as we get into this passage. The people there are not unhappy about it. This is not what sets them off to reject him. Um, we'll see that in a minute when we read the second set of passages. But this passage is uh, important. Now, Luke is recording it for us in Greek, which doesn't actually do it justice. Um, likely he looked it up in the Septuagint to write it down as he was uh, doing this. Whereas Jesus would have been reading it out of the Hebrew text, out of the book of Isaiah. It's actually Isaiah chapter 61. Um, and uh, what he would have read and then it proceeded to explain would have been a little different than what Luke, Luke boiled it down for us. So I'm going to read Isaiah 61 to us. It's not very long. It's only 11 verses. Because there are some things we need to pull out of it that it's clear from Luke's explanation is what Jesus is talking about. Because today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. doesn't do justice what Jesus is saying. The Jews would have understood it very differently. So we need to go back to the actual Hebrew passage. Let's read it. Um, verse, or chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord of, yeah, the, uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. You shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and the glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For the Lord loved justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are an offering the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation." He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress as a bride adorned herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown to sprout up in it, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations." Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what he says. That's what he read. Can you imagine? Sounds like great news, doesn't it? Of course they're happy with it. My guess is is that uh, they were expecting him to to say there was some proclamation that the, the Romans were leaving. That they were going to be free people. And not under the bondage of taxation by Roman governors. They're happy. They were excited. We're going to be. We're going to have all these things. But that's not what he was saying, was he? What he's really talking about when he says that this has been fulfilled was he's talking about himself, because this passage is his true identity. This is who Jesus was. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to bring, and he goes on and he lists off all these things. Isaiah is writing this in this passage of chapter 61. 
It's a future tense. It's something that's going to happen. So if this is Jesus' true identity and he's declaring himself to be this person that Luke is. See, now the Jews believed that the person in this text was the nation of Israel. That the people were the one that was going to bring this. And that all these things and blessings and honor, you know, with, I mean, somebody wearing a headdress, I mean, that's honorable, you know, and all that. All that was going to be them. Jesus is going to be the bringer of good news, not the nation of Israel. Why? Because they were descendants of Abraham. They believed that they would rule the world, that they were, they were the gift to the world that God chose to give and that they were all that and then some. They totally had, a, had this mentality. And that's, that's what we're going to see is why they're mad at him at the end of this passage. Not because he said that it was fulfilled, but because he's going to show that it wasn't that, that it's not them. He's the binder of broken hearts. He's the liberator of captives. The proclaimer of the Lord's year. That's a year of jubilee when property is supposed to go back to the, who it belonged. Now, that didn't happen anymore because the Romans were in charge. And they would just take the property for taxes or whatever and, and all that. But he's proclaiming that there's going to be a year of jubilee. Yes, my family gets its land back. We'll again be back in business. Comfort to the mourners. These are all the things that Jesus was saying, I am. I am the person that brings these to be. And they're sitting there, I'm sure they're cheering. Maybe not, you know, like, ah. But they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, we've all been to a church where, you know, you, you got the yes men. There's like a, a section of the yes guys. Preach it, brother. You're right on, brother. Amen, brother. You know, it, it's, I'm sure that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, you know, he's reading this and he says, it's been fulfilled in me. It's been fulfilled in your presence. It's here. All of these things. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up from former devastation. What is he referring to? Or what is I, do they think Isaiah is referring to? Yeah, Jerusalem was destroyed. It was leveled. All the countryside, all the strongholds, all the cities, the, the Babylonians wiped them out. Their thought is, is that, okay, we're going to have back everything that David and Solomon built. Remember, Solomon's kingdom was amazing. There was so much silver and gold that, the, that, that gold was worthless. They would use it on the streets. They had incredible wealth. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall plant your fields. Who were they working for most of the time? In their own lands. Yeah. 
Wouldn't that sound great? Wouldn't you like somebody? All these illegal immigrants, they're going to be your slaves. They're going to be your servants. They're coming to work for you. Yes. That's what they're thinking. Oh, it, it did. The Messiah was going to do all these things. That the Messiah was going to free them from Rome. They didn't, yeah, that didn't matter to them. They didn't care. They weren't looking for someone to fix their problem with God. As far as they were concerned, the world had a problem with God. They didn't because they had the temple. They did not have an issue. They did the right thing. I sin, I go down and I slaughter sheep. You know, I go to the festivals as long as it's that whole legalism. I've ticked all my boxes. I don't have a problem with God. The rest of the world does, and they need to get in line, which means they need to be showing up at the temple. They need to be paying temple taxes, you know, which will make my taxes less. And I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham anyway, so I, I should probably just get some of that back anyway. There, there's this whole mentality. I'm a Jew. The rest of the world needs to get in line. Don't they know that they're wrong? And the point of why God selected them as a, as a people. God selected them as a people to be set aside from the rest of the world to show them that he's different so that we would then also be reached. Right. They missed the second half of that. Well, no, right. They, they, they thought that they just would get all the benefit and not have to do any of the work. What, I, gotta actually, I actually got to follow what God says? I can't just grind it out of everybody else? Um, which is interesting because if you look at verse 8 in Isaiah 61, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. As far as they're concerned, that's already happened. We're the, we're the covenant people and we've been wronged. We've been seriously wronged by the Greeks, by the Egyptians, by the Romans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. And Jesus is saying, this is fulfilled. Yes, we're finally going to get our recompense. What do they call it? Repar reparations? Is that it? They're going to get reparations from the Romans government. That's what it is. That's what Jesus is saying. Right? You can see where this is going. Wow, it sounds like today, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed. Their mentality is still there. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm describing myself with it. Like I said, we, we've got to look at the original passage to understand this is what Jesus read. And then he says this whole thing that th this is... This has been fulfilled today. So their, their expectation is just off the charts. Were they supposed to understand this? Uh, well, I don't know that, they, that anybody understood what the Messiah was actually going to do. And that's why Jesus came and started explaining it, which is what we're going to see in a second. He's going to explain this passage and what he means as we, uh, as we look at this. So let's look at it. Back to Luke, chapter 4, verses 22 and through 27. Anybody? All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard, heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, 
No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in, in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All right. Thoughts? Is there kind of more going on, like, like when they were saying something about um, this is not Joseph's son, and then he said that was you. Were they? Was there more conversation there? Oh, I'm sure there was. Okay. Legitimate. Yeah. Okay. Now, but the, look at the way it starts. What is it saying at the beginning of this? All spoke well of him. So he's they 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 respect him. To be the speaker at the synagogue was an honor. It'd be like asking somebody to get up and preach on a Sunday morning here. Um, it didn't just anybody wasn't asked. It had to be someone who was a known rabbi from out of town or somebody that was acknowledged in the community as being wise and the like. Um, just, I mean, any man could do it, but they didn't choose any man. Um, it was usually somebody who would offer a perspective that was popular, if you will. Um, but as we look at this passage, uh, there's, some, there's some issues here. What is Jesus saying? That he's a prophet and that they um, will likely reject his message because he's come to his hometown. Um, yeah, he's claiming prophethood, and yes, he expects them to reject uh, the, that message. Um, but that's not what he's saying. Do you think he's contrasting the, the passage in, um, in Isaiah with the fact that God does work outside of Israel? Yeah, what we've got here is a false understanding. The church has been plagued with this since it's before its inception, obviously, uh, that we read something and we think, oh, this is the way this works. This is what this means. Uh, this is what Chris has been preaching on in Re as he's been preaching through Revelation. We go on and on that this is what this means, and the reality is, is we didn't. They didn't understand Isaiah. Jesus had to come and explain it to them, and that's what he's doing. He's explaining what it meant, not what they thought it meant. It's a false understanding. And that's what he's pointing out here. Uh, if we look at his thing, he goes to Elijah. Elijah was a very famous prophet. The whole deal on Mount Carmel, the shutting up of the heavens for three years so that there was no rain, which created famine. Elijah was provided for. If we remember the widow, the story, he goes to the widow's house, tells her to make him... Uh, a little cake. 
she's like, well, I haven't got a whole lot. We're just going to die. But she does it on faith and does what the prophet says, brings him the first one. He eats it and the oil and flour don't run out throughout the rest of the famine. That's pretty amazing, right? The problem is, is that the chick was not Jewish. The woman was not an Israelite. She wasn't even of the northern kingdom. She was from outside the community. Why did God bless somebody who was Sidonian? She was from the, the nation of Sidon. Why would he bless her? It's never addressed in the Old Testament, but Jesus is here. He's, re, he's telling that story in contrast to Isaiah 61, which the basic understanding is, is all these great things are going to happen to us because we are the descendants of Abraham. We're going to have recompense. Our cities are going to be rebuilt. We're going to have Roman slaves. They're going to work our fields and tend our sheep, right? That's the mentality. And Jesus says, oh, no, wait a second. Don't you remember the story of Elijah? God saved a woman that was not from the nation because he was punishing the nation. Hmm. That's a brain scratcher, isn't it? And then he goes on. He, he makes it worse. He goes, well, let's look at Elisha, Elijah's apprentice. And the whole story of Naaman. Syria was the evil nation to the north. But Naaman was covered in leprosy and he brought down all this money, gold, jewels. And Elisha said, no, I don't want any of it. Just go wash in the Jordan River and, and the whole thing. Naaman's like, what are you talking about? That Jordan River is disgusting. We got better rivers up north that are cleaner and all that. Why would I want to go get in that cesspool? But Naaman said, okay, fine, I'll do it. Uh, you said to do it, I'll go do it. And he does. And on the seventh time, I mean, it wasn't just one time. He had to do it seven times. And on the seventh time, all the leprosy was gone. But he was from the dreaded Syrians. Those who were sheep rustlers and attacked them often, taxed them into oblivion. Why, why was he saved, Jesus says? Why did, why did God choose to cleanse him of leprosy. Elisha didn't cleanse anybody else from leprosy in the whole nation of Israel. He's making a point, isn't he? Mm -hmm. They've got false understanding. The, the, the Jews had this understanding that anything listed in Scripture that was good was for them. And everything that was not good, all the judgment and all that, was going to be the rest of the world, particularly the Romans at that point. And I'm sure years before it had been the Greeks, but uh, yeah. They expected him, him being Jesus or, or God, to hook them up. Yo, man, we bros. We got, you, you can hook me up, man. You can hook a brother up, right? Uh, yeah, they expected to be hooked up. We're going to get all the benefit because we the people. We come from Abraham. They thought that they were his family and friends plan. That was the Jewish mindset. The Jewish trend would, was that they would be the recipients of all good things from God because of who they were. Now, we see that highlighted a couple of weeks ago 
by John. Remember John the Baptist? What did he say to them? When the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to question him? Yes, he called them a brood of vipers. And he told them to do what? Yeah, repent and show fruit. And then he told them why. Yeah, God could raise up offspring from Abraham from the stones. He doesn't need you. You need to repent. You're not, your position is not as safe as you thought it was. Same message right here. Jesus has just illustrated God didn't do all the good things to only Israel, even in the ancient world. You know how we tend to get nostalgic about our past and we, we overlook, we forget those points in the story. Look how much gold and silver God blessed Solomon and we were so rich. And then the next generation came along and, well, we don't really talk about that that Israel was punished and that the judgment was sent on them and they were carried away by Assyria. And we don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that. We've forgotten about that. We were blessed. We had David. We had Solomon. And all the good things that come along through that, they didn't do it. Now, you know me, I got a medal. Aren't we doing that today? We're America. We fought the revolution. We're God's chosen country, aren't we? We should be blessed. Look at, look at all our, our, the songs that we sing about our country. God bless America. Why in the world should God bless America? Given the abortion rates, the divorce rates, the, uh, the ridiculous laws that have been passed regarding things that we know he hates. <laughs> How dare we sing that song? We're not a godly nation. Oh, we, we were godlier before. But we think we're entitled, just as the Jews did. We're no different than them. We, we think we should be blessed. We think we should get good things. The church has spent the last at least 50 years padding its bank accounts and, and holding itself in to take care of itself, and they've done nothing for the world. I mean, you just, you just look at the way we treat people and how the church over the, and I'm, I'm talking collectively, uh, the world doesn't care what we have to say because we've not been in the world. We've created our own school systems, our own amusement parks, our own gyms, bowling alleys, whatever, so that we don't need to be part of them. Oh, God is going to destroy them, let them burn. Right? That's not what he called us to do, though. It's the whole point of the sermon last week and the continuation this week. We've not been in the world. We've tried to separate ourselves, just as the Jews did. They separated themselves. They walled themselves off from the Romans. Oh, I, I don't touch those people. The whole Samaritan thing, we haven't gotten there yet. But they would go around an entire portion of the country because it had Samaritans in it. We can't deal with those people. I can't even walk through their towns. I wouldn't drink the water from the, the well, their wells, right? 
We're making the same mistake today. We think that we're deserving of all God's blessings. But we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing either. No, but it's funny, if you talk to the average American who doesn't really go to church, doesn't really care, if you ask them if they're a Christian, they're like, well, I'm an American. We, we associate it that, well, being American is being Christian. That's changing right now. We're in the process of making that go away. But if you go back 10 years, uh, I mean, that's why we have Christers, right? People that go to church on Christmas and Easter, that's, but that's what it is. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an American. I, I grew up with it. I, I go to church twice a year. That makes me a Christian. It's all good. Um, you know, we, we've got... If you weren't something else, specifically, like Jewish right. or Muslim or Hindu or whatever, then of course you're just automatically a Christian. Well, and, and the numbers are skewed from a strictly numbers perspective churches claim huge memberships because you were born to a family that attended this church and you were baptized there as a child maybe they put your name on the rolls and they never get rid of them well we've got this you know they, they know you're still alive they probably send them the monthly newsletter and all that but they haven't been there in years or maybe they do they come christmas and easter uh, but are they, are they part of the church? We remember what the church is. It's a collection of the, of the people together coming to worship and serve God. That's what the church is. not this, this organization, this facility. That's not the church. But we've got this idea in America that we're mostly Christian. And now the world is changing it. We, we're becoming the enemy. Uh, we're, the, we're the problem in society which, you know, people like that are like, well, okay, fine. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not anything. Mm-hmm. And we're all going, oh, no, we're losing all these people in the church. Well, did we ever really have them? Mm-hmm. No, because they have this false understanding of what it was to be a Christian. The Jews had a false understanding of what it meant to be God's chosen. They thought it was going to be all glory and Food and parties and, and all that stuff. But that's not what it means. We, we've got a lot of Christians, a lot of people who believe that that's what it is to be a Christian and that we're all just waiting for the party to get started at the end. Uh, but that's not the case. There's things to do. There's work to be done. Uh, there were commands issued to go into all the world and make disciples. Well, you can't make disciples if... You haven't been discipled yourself, which means you, you, you need to come to things like Bible studies and Sunday schools and probably show up for church more than once every eight weeks, ten weeks. I think the average right now, um, I think it's 11. The average church attender shows up um, every 11 weeks, and that's considered a normal attendance. And it, it drives me and Chris crazy because we're like, just when we think that somebody has left and that they're not coming, we're trying to figure out where they're, we're like, oh, no, I'm coming. Well, when were you last here? Oh, yeah, I come about there, you know, every, every couple of weeks I'm there. Well, it's, it's yeah. They, they, I think it's like, it, it comes out to be like six times, seven times a year. 
If you attend church seven times a year, by the national statistics, that's considered a regular attender. The national statistics, it's like if you attend seven times a year, you're a regular attender. And most of the churches accept that, and they don't drop the names from the rolls and all that. And so the numbers are completely skewed. Comment, question. False understanding. We all have it. We all suffer from it. We, we, we think that I don't need to do something about this. God will, God will overlook it. or he, It's not for me. I'm coming to church every week, so God will overlook right. it. Right. They, they were going, I mean, remember, this is Nazareth. These people would go, I mean, Jesus went every year to the temple. His parents were diligent. And he's, yeah, most of the community went too. Because remember, they went in that large group when he was 12. They went, they did what they were supposed to do. They took their tithe, they made their offerings, their sacrifices. They did what they were supposed to do. Or at least what they thought they were supposed to do. All right. Wow. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> right. What made them mad? Remember, we started the passage that they spoke well of him. He read, he read Isaiah 61, and they spoke well of him. They were pleased. They were all excited. They were all, amen, brother. Now he finishes, and they're wanting to throw him off a cliff. What changed? Well, and that the Jews got punished. It's a misguided response. They're blaming him for what he said. <laughs> Remember the whole thing about the prophets, right? What were prophets? God's mouth. They were the mouthpiece of God. It, it, was it them that was making this stuff up? No. no. Jesus isn't making this up. But yet they're misguided in their response. They're going to kill him. If we just shut the messenger up, we don't have to hear it. La, 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 right? Yeah, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> That's what they're doing. We don't want to hear that bad things happen to us. We're the descendants of Abraham. But no, the people were angered. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. Wow, does that sound like today? The world doesn't want to hear the message that they're living in sin. They want it to be okay. Whether it's about homosexuality, abortion, uh, thieving from the poor, whatever. I mean, pick anything. We, we've got so many issues floating around right now that are... That, but if anybody tells them the truth, they don't want to hear it. We're the bigots. We're the um, doomsayers in all this. Can you imagine? God destroyed the entirety of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do we think he's okay with it today? 
Actually, he was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for just a handful of people. Remember the whole conversation with Abraham? For the sake of, I forget how few it was, but it was like, it was like seven or something. Yeah, it was so, if I find that many righteous people, I'll spare the city. Well, we know he didn't spare those cities, which means he didn't find that many. Which means that we are extremely important as believers, aren't we? We are all that's holding God's wrath back on this nation. Because as we look at it and see just how it's not living the way God wants. There are a few more than 10 righteous people in this country. But the people were angered. The people were mad at Jesus. Because, well, if you don't tell us this, then it won't happen, right? I didn't want to hear the truth. It didn't matter. Huh? I was going to say, I was listening to Michael Youssef this morning. He was saying where we are today. The truth is irrelevant. People, are their feelings are their truth. Yeah. We're, it's, it's offensive. Uh, if it's offensive, then I don't want to hear it. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't want to hear it. Nobody was sent there to preach righteousness to them, was it? The angels showed up. They sat in the city square. We know that... Um, I just lost his name. Lot. Lot, thank you. Lot came to them and said, you, you don't want to be here after dark. Come with me. One righteous guy looked at him and said, I've got to save them. They didn't come and proclaim the devastation. Nothing. They came to investigate. The people didn't even have a chance to be angered. They just were wiped out. It's not even that they were mad at Jesus. I mean, that's... That, that, okay, so you're mad at the messenger. Let's face it. When we get bad news, our first reaction is usually to be angry. I mean, I, let's face it. There are, what is there, seven? Is it seven stages of grief? Something like that? Yeah, okay, whatever it is. One of them's anger, isn't it? When you're going through... Because like, let's face it, when somebody tells you you're doing the wrong thing, it is grief. Um, and I think that most, you know, that most of us uh, struggle with that. You're doing it wrong. I mean, your boss comes to you and says you're, you're screwing up. And if you don't get it right, I'm going to fire you. Uh, we, yeah, we, we, we go through all that. And then it's like, oh man, why did I do this? How did I... You know, we, we go through this whole emotional gambit. They were angered. The problem is, is that it led to attempted murder. See, now, now they've had anger. They, they've put action. They put action to the emotional state. They've been told that what they're doing isn't enough, that God is not going to bless them. They had a false understanding and they were mad, but being mad isn't wrong. The problem was is that then they attempted murder. They were so upset. And I think we've, we've, we're seeing this nation, it, I mean, both sides of this. It isn't, just, it isn't just the worldly side. But the other side is mad at the world. And, my word, we see the posts, the anger. We should just eliminate them. We should, you know, whatever, you know, assault them. We've seen the attempted assaults. Um, it hasn't become random yet, but th these 
people are completely misguided in their response to what's happening. A response to what the world is doing and all these laws that are being passed or executive orders and all that, it should be guided by teaching. We're to make disciples. That's how we change this. And prayer. Because that changes our hearts. That keeps our hearts in line with God's. And if we're not doing those two things, if we are not bringing people along, and discipleship, yeah, maybe they're not even a Christian yet, and so that we, we've got to get close to them. We've got to become friendly. We've got to be not the guy out there standing on the street corner beating people with the Bible as they go by. We need to be the guy sitting at a table having a normal conversation with them, maybe about the Red Sox or whatever, where we can slide, the, slide it in and guide those conversations. We need to be working the people because it's going to be individuals. You want to get rid of a, abortion, all these people that are blowing up abortion clinics and gunning down the dock. Abortion was made legal because people wanted it, which means the only way to make it illegal is to make people not want it. When we change the hearts of man to the heart of God, the laws will become inconsequential because nobody will be doing it. And the laws will change at that point. It requires us to do it. We've got a misguided response, just as they did, because we have a false understanding. We need to focus on the true identity of Christ and see from that point. Comment or question? Where does it that they were angry because he was just a, a son of Joseph? He wasn't... Well, that's where it starts. I mean, they, they, they didn't know who he was, and they're like, isn't this just the son of Joseph? They tried to write him off, but he didn't let him off the hook. Because I always thought that's why they were so angry with him, because he was, that word, pretending he was God. Yeah, no. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Yeah. Okay. They, it wasn't his blasphemy. When they heard these things, the things of the things he had just said about God blessing people that weren't the nation of Israel. The, the undertone here is, is that Isaiah 61 isn't about you. All this, because they were cheering it before. And he's like, it's not you. It was good, and Jesus knew it. It's going to be the church. Those things that were going to transpire were going to be for the believers, those who truly believed, not just the people that were descendants of Israel. This is what gets Paul in trouble. We're going to see here, we get to Acts. Paul, they want to kill him. I mean, they, they, how many assassination attempts on him? Not because of what he was saying in per se about the Israelites, but the fact that he was pushing that the Gentiles, the Gentiles should be accepted into the synagogues because there wasn't churches yet. They were using the synagogues and that they should be seen as equals to the Jews. The Jews, even those who were, became Jewish, saw them as, okay, you guys, you're, you're down here. Way, way down there is where the Gentiles are. But if you become a convert, then you're like here, and we're here, and, well, like the priests were way up here, with the Pharisees like just a sliver below them because the, the Pharisees still couldn't enter the temple and stuff. And so they had this whole view that went in there. And Jesus said, no, that's, that's not how this works. 
Do you remember the Zarephath widow? Do you remember Naaman from Syria? God blessed them in... He's going to bless those who are his. Wouldn't change the, the rejection of truth, but would, do you think that their perspective was that he was denying um, the theological standpoint of the Old Testament of Scripture? Or do you think that it was just national pride or both? Given, okay, well, the background of Nazareth, most of the uprisings that occurred in, the, in that area of the world, whether it was the Greeks all the way through the Roman period, started in that region. Um, there were many zealots. In all likelihood, as Jesus grew up as a child, he would hear the rebels, the, the anti-Roman rebels, the zealots, plotting to attack the trade road, which was, it was just a couple miles away from the city. The, the, the city of Nazareth wasn't on the trade road. It was up in the mountains, which is where all these guys hid out. And that region was often where they, it would all start. So it wasn't just nationalism. They, these people were or it was very much nationalist. These people were used to trading with the rebel forces, the anti-Roman establishment and the anti-Greek establishment going back. Uh, it was a very mountainous area. You know, I think they were just zealous for protecting what they believed Scripture said. No, no. It, it was, they, they hated the Romans it wasn't very far up the, up the road. I think it was uh, six miles away was a city that was being rebuilt. It was destroyed by Herod the Great and his son Herod Antipas was rebuilding it to make it his capital. Um, huh? Right. And so I, th that region was dominated by the Romans. There were standing armies there. It was a crossroads. So if you were going from the old Persian Empire in the east... And going west, there was that road, and it was the north-south trade route if you were heading down to Egypt. So anything passing from the east or the west that needed to go south came through this region. Now, like I said, the road wasn't in Nazareth. It was a couple miles to the east, up in the mountains, which, again, that's the perfect place to launch uh, a surprise attack against forces. So Roman troops, all the Roman troops that would come from Rome or anywhere else, in the, they came down here. If they were going to Egypt, they were marching the war against Egypt or um, Zambia and all those countries down in Africa, they came through here. Or to Jerusalem to capture it, they came through here. So yeah, they, they, their hatred of the Gentile world was extreme. And for Jesus to say that, that, that God, God does good things to them, I mean, that was... It was offensive, very offensive. So a couple things to take from this. First of all, Jesus came to offer salvation. I think we forget that. And when I say that I think we forget that, I think we forget that it's an offer. It needs to be taken. I can offer you all sorts of things, but until you take it, it isn't yours. We, we've kind of gotten the Western world is, is that, well, Jesus came to save everyone. 
Yes, he did. But he didn't come to actually save everyone. He came to offer everyone salvation. See, there's a difference. If I save everyone, then everybody's saved. But if I come and I offer salvation to everyone, everyone has the option to choose, but that means they also have the option not to choose. The world doesn't like that right now. The world, it's funny the way the world thinks that God is love. The whole thing that Chris was preaching last week. They don't want God to punish anybody. They don't accept that idea. Everybody's going to be, everybody's going to heaven. Oh, they're the exceptional few. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Hitler. Okay, yeah, they're all going to burn. But that's because we have this idea that, that Jesus came to save everyone. And Jesus loves everyone. Well, we, 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 we're, putting, we're, we're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. He came to offer everyone salvation. And that's where the Jews were. What do you mean that God is going to bless the Gentiles? How could anybody bless the Romans? Don't you know what they've done to us? Don't you know how they've treated us? They don't deserve anything from God. Like, as we have the choice of what God blesses and who God doesn't bless. See, that's... <laughs> how could God bless the Democrats? Right? We all think it, don't we? Anybody except whoever, Pelosi or whatever, how can they be acceptable to God? Well, can God save them? Yeah. But see, that's that, that false understanding. We think they deserve the wrath and the judgment, and we're going to be upset when they do get saved. We're going to be... These misguided responses, see? They greet their neighbor in heaven. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine spending eternity with her as your neighbor? No. <laughs> that's it. See, that's, the, that's where we don't understand him. Second, all people must examine their presuppositions about Jesus. Can't emphasize that enough, and Chris is preaching on it. Uh, last week, I'm pretty sure he's going back there again today. It's... His uh, current series. Uh, we think we decide what Jesus should be doing. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Is that we know and he's going he's gonna to operate on our supposition. The problem is, is he doesn't. He just doesn't. He has what he wants to do. And this has been, it's not just us. I mean... You look at the history of the church, it's part of the reason that uh, it doesn't last, that it moves from you know, a country being a Christian nation to being atheistic or non... I mean, look at England. England believed strongly about God. And they sent out missionaries, and they expected those Christians to become... English. And over time, the message became to, was to be English, was to be Christian. And now, here we are, a hundred years after the Great Awakening in England. And England is, it, it, it's not a Christian nation. I don't know that, that, that there are even a majority that attend church once a year in England. It's just what happens. We begin to have presuppositions about what that means and who Jesus is rather than looking at 
the truth. That's why the true identity of Christ is so important, that we keep that at our forefront and remind ourselves who he is and who we are in relation. Third, rejection of Jesus does not change his identity. It does not change who he is if people go to hell. We're living in a world today that's like, well, if Jesus doesn't accept everybody, then he's not God. Because God's love. That, the whole, that whole thing. God is love. No, no. All love comes from God. But God is not love. He's God. It's only one of his attributes. And if Jesus is rejected, that doesn't make him any less God. If he needs to send people to hell, that's okay. It doesn't make him any less because he's already judged us. We're already condemned. He's come to save us from the condemnation that we already have. We've got to remember that. Again, it goes back to that presupposition, which comes from the idea that he came to offer us salvation. There are some people who really and truly do not want it. All right. Comments or questions? All right, let me pray first. Father, it's hard to remember that we're just like those people of that day that tried to throw you off the cliff. Lord, we think we know what you are, or who you are, or how you'll operate, and then you don't do it our way. Lord, help us to remember who you are so that we can remember who we are and that we can have a right connection and we're not misguided in our responses to what's happening. In your name we pray. Amen.